my name is Boss Rusin. Hi, this is Diego Lima. This is Rodrigo Comprido, and you listen. And you guys are listening. So you are listening to the verbal submission. Hello, everyone. It is good to be back. It has been quite a while since an episode of the Verbal Submission aired, over a year to be exact. Um, basically, I got lazy. I mean, this is a great show. We talked to a lot of fighters. We talked to coaches. We talked to anybody associated with combat sports. And uh just missed an episode or two, and then I let it go to three and four and then joined a softball league that played on Sunday nights and used that as an excuse. And then when the softball league ended, we decided I never even started the show again. So just no, no really good excuse. Just, but it's time. It's time to come back. I started another podcast that airs on Wednesday nights and, and I've just, I've got the fever again. So I'm happy to, just be with you guys again. So I'm Brian Hemminger, and with me, as always, my trusty co-host, Richard Highlight Perry. Richard, how you doing tonight, man? I'm doing good. Don't feel too bad. You only missed 60 consecutive episodes. That's not a whole lot. Um, so we can we can just cable that for a minute and yeah. and uh, get the show going. Thank you. Yes, definitely. And uh, before, since I buried the lead enough, uh, tonight we will be having a special guest in about 13 minutes. We'll be speaking with Lion Fight 36 Muay Thai fighter, Paul Benaziak. He's competing next Friday, not this Friday, next Friday, April 28th. He's one of the feature uh, attractions. You will definitely want to check this out. This guy is a pretty cool cat. Maybe he'll uh, motivate you a little bit listening to his interview. So we're really looking forward to talk, talking with him. And uh, with all that out of the way, and we will be talking to him in about 12 minutes now. But first things first, we had a UFC event last night, Richard. And I got to say, it was it was a pretty goddamn good one. Yeah. I mean, you look at it top to bottom. I mean, the, the UFC fight pass prelims was, had uh, Algernon Sterling on it, and that just tells you the mm-hmm. level of talent um, on on the card to have him so low like that. And there were a bunch of really good fights and some really solid finishes. Yeah, and speaking of finishes, there were some pretty wild and crazy upsets on that card, and I think None were more impressive than Robert Whitaker. I mean, this guy has come so far. I mean, he went from losing a striking battle to Court McGee as a welterweight to moving up to middleweight, and he just won his sixth straight fight in the middleweight division and TKO's Jacare Souza in the third fight of the main card. That's on, or second fight of the main card, third from the headliner. 
that was unbelievable last night. I mean, say what you want about the stoppage with uh, Yamasaki. It was kind of a weird stoppage, but, I mean, Jacare was pretty much done. I mean, when Jacare's on his back and he's not trying to submit you and he's just trying to survive like that, I mean, he's clearly not in a good space or not in a good place. Well, I will say this about Jacare. A lot of the damage he took was because instead of following the natural human instinct and just trying to make space and get this dude who's just pounding on you off, um, he actually trapped the uh, the left arm of Robert Whitaker and was setting up an armbar. And Robert Whitaker said, fine, you can have that arm for a couple of seconds while I hit you a bunch of times with the other one. Uh, I, I think uh, Jacare, in most situations, you know, it's kind of a bear trap, but when you rock that badly, the number one thing you need to be worried about is not getting hit and not putting yourself in a bad position. Um, and I think part of the finish came when Jacare just dedicated two arms to one arm instead of getting wrist control on both hands like you should have. Yeah, and, I mean, that was a hell of a head kick. That's two straight fights. I mean, Whitaker's a guy known for his hands, but that's two straight fights now that he set up the finishes with nasty head kicks. First, it was Derek Brunson, and I was like, great performance, Whitaker. You know, you're definitely a contender, but Jacare, I mean, that's a whole other level. There's no way he would let you kick him right in the face, and he did. I mean, I was so impressed. I mean, what do you do with Whitaker now? I mean, they've already got the middleweight division so muddled up with GSP fighting Bisbing. Now you've got Mustasi as a contender. You've got a Whitaker as a contender. You've got the former champ Luke Rockhold out there. What, what, do you, what would you do if you're the matchmaker? Rockhold uh, Whitaker. Rockhold Whitaker is the fight to make. And uh, it, it, it kind of uh, kind of like uh, to see how much better of a striker Whitaker is over. Uh, over Rockhold, because I think Rockhold is just an animal on the ground, and he would probably be able to control Whitaker if he got on top. Um, but I would love to see that fight. But really, at the top five, top six of middleweight, you could just match any name up with any name, and it would be a good fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of really interesting fights to make right now in the middleweight division. I just re- really wish that... They, they hadn't done that whole stupid GSP thing because there's so many guys that can be fighting for the title right now. Musasi could be fighting for the title. Romero could be fighting for the title. I mean, Rockhold could be getting a rematch. And then Whitaker, I think, has just with the, the victory over Jacare, now he could be fighting for the title. It's bullshit that, that this is happening right now. So I, I really feel for all those guys at the top. I mean, I'm I'm honestly of the opinion that if if you're at if you're a Yoel Romero, if you're you know a Musashi, um, if there's a chance at getting a title shot at lightweight, lightweight is so thin with talent outside the top maybe five. You mean light heavyweight. Yeah, in light heavyweight. I'm sorry, I said lightweight. Yeah. Um, yeah. 205 is just so dry right now that moving up, you know, makes sense. Not so much for Whitaker, but for Yoel, for uh, Musashi. Um, 
<clears throat> some of those names have actually been floated um, as late notice replacements against Cormier uh, when other fighters have pulled out. So uh, it, it's not completely impossible that that could happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, let's, let's move on a little bit because there's a lot going on last night. Uh, another thing, obviously, was the main event. Demetrius Johnson, 10 straight wins, domination against Wilson Hayes. I mean, Wilson Hayes is an elite ground fighter, and he taps him out. I mean, did you did you see him getting a submission victory, or were you thinking that he would, you know, win a decision or maybe beat him down and get a TKO type of thing? You know, I Demetrius wins by whatever way he wants to win. Um <laughs> Like there's nothing, there's no holes in his game. It, it, it's so his skill is so evenly distributed and high level, and he moves from one to the other perfectly. Uh, <coughs> Wilson Hayes uh, said he didn't even see the armbar coming. Like he said, it was set up perfectly. I I had no idea what was coming, and Wilson Hayes is just amazing off of his back and, and from the top. And to hear somebody that of that level of uh, of a black belt say something like that, Demetrius Johnson is scary once that, that cage door closes in every phase of the game. I mean, personally, uh, I'm part of the MMA ranking or UFC rankings panel. I have Demetrius Johnson number one pound for pound, and I don't think Anybody's even close right now. What, do you, well, what about you? It's, it's absurd to suggest anybody else is the pound-for-pound pound best. It's absolutely absurd. It, it's almost getting to the point where he's going to kill the entire division. Like, there's not going to be anybody signed um, to 125 that he hasn't beat. Mm-hmm. So this leaves the obvious question. What's next for him? Uh, the winner of TJ Dillashaw and uh, Cody Garbrandt. You think he moves up to, to Bantamweight again? I think if TJ wins, because TJ has come out and said, and he said right after the Burrell fight, and he said multiple times since, that he could easily make 125. But he, he I thought it was Garbrandt that uh, said that. No, TJ. TJ said it on the uh, the uh, Rogan podcast. And, okay. Because um, I would, I would love to see said that. he walks around at like one forty one. I mean, that's possible to make the cut. Um, I, you know, I I think that would be a great fight. I would prefer to see the TJ fight because I love watching TJ fight. Cody Garbrandt would probably, and I hate to say this. Um, if it came down to just a straight striking battle, I think Garbrandt is faster and, and has more power than Demetrius. Um, both mm-hmm. fights would be absolutely interesting to watch, just fascinating. Yeah, I mean, is there anybody at at flyweight that you think could still be worthy of getting a title shot, or is that something that needs to be worked out down the line like, uh, like Ray Borg or... Uh, even that new guy, uh, Bibulatov, that that just uh, fought in the UFC for the first time. I mean, it's it's a long road right now for anybody to get to to get to Demetrius. I mean, mm-hmm. 
He's I mean, just chasing people out of the division. Yeah. Two already with, uh, you know, John Dodson. Oh, three. I mean, John Dodson. John Lineker left because he was too fat. But uh, Dodson left because he lost twice. And then uh, Scoggins, I guess. Well, so far, I'd say only one really that he got chased out. But I wouldn't be shocked to see Benavidez leave. I mean, he's got nothing left to prove up there either. Yeah, uh, people were floating Benavides as a uh, as a possible contender, and I don't need to see that movie again. I, I know how it ends. Uh, we all know how it ends. <laughs> That's very true. Um, I don't know. There's just it's just it's just a little crazy. I mean, that somebody can be this good that. Somebody will get insane amounts of hype and praise for winning one round against him, like Tim Elliott did. Like Elliott had a good first round, and then Johnson beat the brakes off him for four straight rounds, and and Elliott immediately becomes like a top like eight guy when he hadn't even been in the UFC for a couple years. (laughs) And and that was deserved. Demetrius Johnson is so much better than. And everybody else in the pool he's swimming in, it's absurd. And it's kind of crazy to think that um, he's kind of coming into that 10-year, coming up to that 10-year cliff. You know, most mixed martial artists um, tend to drop off in year show, 10 or so, unless you're Vitor mm-hmm. and taking all the Mexican supplements you can find. Um, and uh, he, he's getting up there in age. So if we do see Demetrius start to start to slip a bit, um, that's when I think he's going to get beat. It can be because of his decline, not because anybody else is better than he was at his peak. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, it's uh, 845, and that's when I was told I should call uh, our upcoming guest, uh, Paul uh, Benaziak. So I'm going to go give him a ring. And while I'm doing that, I want to get your thoughts on Rose Nami Yunus, Michelle Waterson. I want to hear, did you expect that fight to play out the way it did? Did you think uh, Waterson would get rocked on the feet and then submitted? Um, I want to get your thoughts. And can Rose become a contender at, despite already holding two losses to two of the top girls in the division? So I just want to hear everything you got to say about that fight and the strawweight division in general. Uh, just let our listeners know while I go get Paul on the line. Uh, I think uh, the uh, Tug Rose victory over Michelle Watterson was kind of uh, shocking in how it played out. Um, <laughs> Rose uh, does not have the depth of striking experience Michelle Watterson has. Michelle Watterson has been striking her entire life. You know, all you have to do is watch a Paige Van Zant uh, fight to see what happens when someone who may be a little bit more grappling-focused uh, tries to push the pace on uh, Michelle Watterson with strikes, it usually doesn't end well. Um, nobody told uh, Rose this, and uh, she managed to, you know, take a very Donald Cerrone-esque uh, rear naked choke where she just smashed Michelle Watterson with a head kick and used that to set up their submission. And... Uh, yeah, um, Thug Rose is, is very much a contender at this point. Maybe one fight out, one victory out um, from a, uh, a shot at, uh, at Ioana. And uh, I don't think she wins that fight. 
but I think it would be a very, very fun fight to watch. Um, that being said, uh, you know, Carolina just lost to Ioana, and Thug Rose also lost to Ioana. Um, so I, Yo, I don't no. think we'll see. Okay, you're back. <laughs> yeah, sorry to interrupt, Richard, but uh, we are back, and we are joined right now by a very special guest. He is competing this upcoming April 28th. Uh, Richard, you should mute yourself. Oh, I'll do it while you're typing. It's pretty loud. Um, he is fighting upcoming Lions Fight 36 event next Friday. He is a very talented Muay Thai fighter, Paul Benaziak. And I'm hoping I'm getting this name right. If I'm wrong, you can feel free to correct me. Uh, Paul, welcome to the Verbal Submission, man. What's going on, baby? Yeah, it's uh, Benaziak, but very close. Benaziak, okay. I know it's Polish. Yeah. Like you're right. You're born in Poland, yes, right? Okay. I so. was, yeah. Yeah. So I just thought. Yeah, so sometimes the the foreign pronunciations get me, but it's once I've heard of, this way of doing it, I think yeah, one of yeah, my definitely. doctors said it, and I said that it has a nice that has a nice smooth tone to it. So I, I just adapted it that way. It's not even the it's not yeah. even the right way to say it, best sounding one. Yeah, well, I promise I won't get it wrong ever again now that I've heard uh, you say it. <laughs> so no worries, baby. Uh, yeah, let, let's talk about. Uh, your path. I mean, you're a guy that has a really interesting story. I mean, you, uh, you know, being a, a student in the medical field and competing and training constantly, like what with uh, somebody that had the, the goals of you of wanting to be like a, an anesthetist, what drew you to uh, combat sports and, and that lifestyle? I don't think it's something that drew me. I think everyone has kind of a little fantasy when they're a kid, just growing up. I never pictured myself doing uh, such a thing. You know, I grew up with a family that placed education on the highest level. It was a priority. My mother was a, was a teacher in Europe. And then when we moved to the States, she kind of let all that go. And she was cleaning houses for a living and then going back to school. And after persevering through all that, she became a dental hygienist and then ultimately taking her master's degree and becoming a clinical instructor. So she definitely placed a high level priority on education. And, you know, I kind of was able to do whatever I wanted to do as long as I put that first. And that's always been the story. However, I I didn't seek passion in what I was doing. I was just kind of following in the footsteps of, of my family. And I think a lot of people do that uh, to make others happy. And I thought I got to a point in my life where, it was time to make myself happy, and I was doing things I never could picture myself doing. Um, I was achieving things I never pictured myself achieving. So just long story short is, you know, I, I was a kid that didn't believe too much in himself, and through doing this, I became very confident in what I was doing. Uh, there was a specific night at Medicine Square Garden where it really happened. and uh, I say this every time I tell the story, but... I hope my mother's not listening. I, I failed a test on an exam uh, on purpose, actually. Uh, I was a high honor student in high school, and then I actually did graduate uh, college with health and exercise science uh, just to make my parents happy. But uh, And I graduated first in class with a student excellence award. But this was all uh, while fighting and putting that as a priority. I, I just wanted to challenge myself. I felt like it always the school will always be there. 
you know, I can get those grades any time in my life. And I think using my mother as an example of letting everything go, having that master's degree, coming here at 30 plus years old, restarting, you know, if, if I take this chance and I put my whole life into it and if it doesn't work out, I know I have the skills. I think I have the intellect to succeed in something else. So I just said, you know, I have nothing to lose. I'll, I'll just dive straight into this. Um, my car, I crashed my car. I totaled my car and then I just moved to Thailand and, you know, just took it, <laughs> took it full on and just started living it. Yeah. And one of the things I think that makes you so compelling is, you know, there's fighters, there's the guys that just basically do nothing but eat, sleep and train but you're a little bit more than that. You kind of document what you're doing. You write, uh, you do vlogs, like you, you really keep people engaged with your training, the highs, the lows. Um, and I think that that's, that's kind of fascinating. And, and I, and it really lets people see the, the struggle because there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that most people don't really know about in uh, the fight world, like just how hard it can be. Definitely. I I want people to feel the reality. I want people to feel those emotions. You know, a lot of people look up to us and they see those 10 seconds of glory and fame. And it's amazing to speak to a lot of these fighters and see what the real reality is. And you, I think you gain a lot more respect, not only for fighters, but to anyone that has a passion and took a risk, someone that went into a lifestyle that's really, really difficult. And it seems like, they had this overnight success when it's really 20 years of grinding before you reach that overnight success story, you know? So uh, that's kind of what I'm trying to do throughout my website is shine a light to that and not just, you know, put out stuff where, Oh, it is the reality. It's not as easy as it seems, but taking those things and finding ways to show others how to build resilience and how to build a limitless mindset, how to, stop limiting themselves where they can actually achieve this. So it's not really about showing the negatives, the positives, but it's more about just showing the different techniques and strategies you can use or, you know, just ways of thinking where you can actually get through those negative times because they're going to come. You can't expect them not to. So if you're living a life where those obstacles aren't coming, it's probably not very fulfilling. So if you're chasing something that's fulfilling, they're going to come. So it's just more about getting ready. And I mean, that's what fighting is, is just, you know, you you know, you're going to get hit. It's just about getting ready so you can minimize the damage and maximize uh, the damage that you do on your opponent. So, yeah, a lot of things go alongside each other. Uh, Since I was young, I was kind of, I always wanted to study myself. I studied myself a lot, the way I think, the way I move. And when I was a skateboarder, snowboarder, I was slinging DVDs in high school, just videotaping from elementary school. Like from fifth grade, I was editing videos and Uh, me and my skate crew. (laughs) So uh, once I got into high school, that's what I was still doing. And then once I completely left that life and started fighting, I kind of took that uh, to the next level when it came to fighting, just documenting that. I started to learn a lot about myself. So I brought more than just the visual. I think I brought a lot more of a spiritual side into it as well. Mm -hmm. Now you're the type of guy I've I've read that is a very studious fighter. You're you're constantly breaking down your technique, looking for new things to try out, tinker with, and and, and just constantly evolve your game and get better. Is there almost a a worry sometimes, though, that that you think too much? Because sometimes you want to just not not have to think at all? Okay. No, not at all. Um, 
you know, if I let it, then, then it would be. However, I, I keep it to a point where I'm critical of myself, but never to a point where I'm not confident in myself. Meaning I, I know I have things to work on. There's always things I can change. There's different things I can do to perfect it. But I've, I've fought in situations where my technique wasn't as good as my opponent's and I won. I fought in situations where uh, my personal life wasn't going in the most, in the best direction. And I still won those fights. And, you know, I've gone against better opponents, more experienced opponents, technically, physically, and I was still able to succeed. So I know at the end of the day, you know, even if things aren't perfect, play in that can still win me the fight. So, you know, like whenever anything is against you, you can't just look at one thing like, oh, man, you know, I didn't have this part of my ritual that happened or I forgot to do this or maybe my cardio isn't as good as it was in this fight. I think you can use different characteristics and just adapt. I think that's the biggest thing is just being able to adapt and, you know, just take it from there. Every fighter is different. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I study myself a lot, but it's to break myself down. It's never, it's to break down technique, not to break myself down, you know, like uh, mentally, I, I always still stay rather strong. And then when it comes to fight night, you don't remember that stuff anyways. You don't think about that kind of stuff. It's, it's just fight night. You just fight. So I, I just try to flow and go. That's it. Oh, nice. Now, you, I believe I read that you got into uh, Muay Thai because of uh, association with Sid Yong Tong. So what brought you to Thailand? Was it you just wanted to kind of get to the, the base, uh, the genesis of the sport and, and kind of just – live like they live for a little bit? Uh, my first trip there was kind of a tryout process. I don't like to do things and just kind of like dip my toes. I, I rather do things in an, at an extreme level, whether I do it or I just don't do it at all. So um, the first time I went was for only a month, and I thought that was not enough. The second time I went was only for a month. It was just about aligning my life to where I can do it, where I don't have to worry about how long I'm there. And that's why this last trip was uh, close to a year. And then I was able to gain a sponsorship with Namsak Noi, who is a golden era legend there and arguably uh, the greatest of all time. Uh, I don't know if you know too many Muay Thai fighters, but Sanchai is, is one that definitely mm-hmm. stands out. Uh, he defeated Sanchai, and he was the longest reigning uh, Lumpini champion, the stadium champion out there. So very, very hardcore militant trainer. And uh, I lived under his roof for about five months and took on uh, three to four fights with him. So um, that that was my way of really taking it to that like level of where I do want to live it and see it. I think just a lot of people have a fantasy. So if you do Muay Thai, you have this fantasy of living, breathing it, and being in Thailand and just only being focused on that. Uh, and I think a lot of people either don't get to fulfill that fantasy or they just don't do it to that level where – they get the reality of it. Uh, you know, when you're a paid fighter, it's a much different experience than when you're a sponsored fighter. When you're a paid fighter, you know, they accommodate you. Uh, when you're a sponsored fighter, it's a whole different story. You're, you're treated like one of the Thai boys. And that's what I wanted. It wasn't the most pleasant experience, but it was something I needed uh, to gain the confidence in being able to go into a pro card like Lion Fight as a co-main event against someone that's already an established fighter as a veteran. And to have the confidence to say, like, I, you know, I got this and, and, and not worry too much about it. I'm really realistic in the bouts I take and in and, and the things I say. So um, 
you know, I, I know the holes in my game and I noticed them. Even though I was winning fights, I was in a very comfortable position. I was making good money. I let all those things go because I knew I just needed to step up to another level. So even though I was winning, I was seeing the holes in my game. So that's where the whole studious part came in. You know, a lot of people win and they get really excited about that. But I was winning and I was, I was still seeing some holes. So I just wanted to fill those in. That's why I wanted to go to Thailand and just do it on a level where I haven't done it before. Oh, that's fascinating. Now, uh, we got a question here from my co-host. He wants to know, you know, your upcoming bouts at cruiserweight, but what weight class for you feels the most like home because you've kind of fought all over the map weight-wise? Yes. Uh, you know, in the beginning, I took fights even at 205 pounds. I have a title at 205 was my first title. But that's because it, it was kind of hard to match me up. There wasn't as many Muay Thai shows. So about six years, mm-hmm. it's amazing how t- tremendous the growth of Muay Thai has been in the past six years in terms of shows, opportunities. Because six years ago, there was literally no shows. Uh, you know, yeah. you had to go to Friday Night Fights, which which was in New York City under a church somewhere underground. And now it's a little bit more legitimate. There's all these athletic commissions and so many shows, like almost every single week now, there's opportunities. By the time, you know, it was kind of, you know, do you want to fight this weekend? Hey, the guy's 240 pounds. What do you weigh? And I'm like, oh, I'm 195 or something like that. And I'm like, all right, well, you don't have to cut any weight and you guys can just go and that's how I ended up winning my first title. It was like a four-man elimination. So I fought there. And then since then, I was fighting at 170 because I was more my natural walk-around weight when I was like 19 years old was around 178. Then I started walking around 185, 190, 195. Now I walk around almost uh, or like between 197 and 203, depending how hydrated, how hard I'm training. So I've been fighting at 170 to 175 for the majority of my career, my whole career, 170 to 175. And that was since I started when I was 19. So even though, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm a maturing boy, I'm growing and being able to keep a little bit more muscle mass on me now, uh, I'm, I've been fighting at the same weight class and I started to feel it, especially when I had those five round fights that, my cardio was never worse than my opponent's. I've never had a bout where my cardio was worse. Uh, I genetically just have, I'm rather gifted aerobically. So I, I just knew I had a little bit more in my tank from the training I was doing. And I just felt that in the fights where I was cutting a lot of weight, I was starting to feel more fatigued in the fourth and fifth round than I normally would. Uh, so going up to cruiserweight, is going to be really interesting to feel it because I'm almost walking around the weight, um, about five, six pounds away, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. and I've been this, I've been like this for the past week. So it's, you know, my walk around weight. This is when I'm on a full stomach on, you know, drinking water and I'm only about six, seven pounds away. So when the fight comes, it's, you know, I cut out a little bit of carbs and I'm really right there. I don't have to drain myself and sit in the sauna for an hour. I'll, you know, I'll be yeah. good to go. That's good. Now, uh, what can you tell us a little about your upcoming opponent, uh, Brett Flavacek? Looks like uh, you know he, he's definitely got some experience. But you know, what, what are your kind of expectations going in there uh, next Friday? Yeah, he's a decorated fighter. Uh, his he has over twenty professional fights. Uh, I remember watching him as a professional fighter before I even knew what Muay Thai was like. When I started fighting as an amateur, he was a opposite corner as the coach. So. You know, I was fighting those, uh, his students. And then before I even knew what Muay Thai was, he was fighting on shows like 
take on, which was at Madison Square Garden, all these different shows as a professional. So before I even can call myself an amateur, uh, he was doing it as a professional. And he's still rather young, you know, he's 32 or 33 years old, so he's still rather young. Um, you know, in the past year, he hasn't been as active, and I feel like I'm starting to really catch my rhythm, catch my flow. I think I'm really hungry. I think I'm young. I'm hungry. I'm fast. And I think I'm bringing a lot of speed, cardio, you know, hunger <laughs> into this fight. So even though I only have four fights, I'm 4-0 and as a pro. Um, you know, I'm never scared to lose, and I just think it's a really good matchup for me. You know, if either way, I'm going to make it an entertaining fight. So everyone get, really wins. And then if I win, I think it'll really launch me to that next level, like, you know, to bring me to the pinnacle of the sport here, you know, being on the biggest show. So, yeah, I, I, I like the pressure. Uh, you know, anytime as an amateur, when I was kind of doubt, doubting myself, I would take just the hardest fight possible at the biggest stage possible to force myself to just train my ass off and prove everyone wrong. And this is kind of bringing that same thing together you know can this young kid that just spent the past year of his life and sacrificed everything in thailand can he come back face a veteran of the sport and you know show how good he really is technically because uh brett is a high iq fighter he's more of a technician than you know a brawler or anything like that or a power fighter so you know i'm used to the brawlers i'm used to the power fighters and uh training with the ties and being with the highest level of ties that are actually around my weight has been a huge tool uh, recently. You know, I fought some K1 fighters from Europe that were bigger than me and really strong technically as well. And I had a rather easy time with them. So, you know, that only gives me more confidence going into this fight. Uh, you know, I, I, I only have four pro fights, but trust me, I, I have a lot of experience, especially as an amateur. I was very, very patient before going pro. Oh, that's very good to hear. Now, obviously, your upcoming short-term goal is to go out there and take care of business uh, with that next fight. But what what are kind of your long-term goals? Like, I know a lot of people that train and and are as focused as you are. They kind of you know really put those goals out there, and then they have like whatever it is that they're really working for. So, what are you working for? I think I just want to set a, a standard. I, I think I want to bring a lot of things together. I think sometimes Muay Thai, uh, you know, we're, we're missing a little bit of something, some, some kind of jazz, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, MMA has already established itself in the mainstream, and I'd love to do that, uh, whether it's through my social media presence or me as an athlete. I think I'm trying to bring all these things together and do them all well, which is really difficult to do. I've been balancing it really, really well as of recent. So maybe I can be one of the first ones to do that. I did just to be able to create the hype online as well as in person and compete at that level. Uh, you know, fighting has always come first. So if I have a choice of writing about it or doing it, I'm going to be doing it. Right. So that takes a back burner most of the time, but I still put in whatever hours I can. I, I don't do anything extra. I don't go out. I don't, you know, spend time on things that really waste my time. I don't spend time with people that waste my time or have bad energy, negative energy. I'm really careful who I surround myself with, my environment. I have a great environment around me, good team. And, you know, everyone that really surrounds me just kind of fuels it. So, 
Yeah, I guess my long-term goal is just to tackle one obstacle at a time. I think it's really important to enjoy the journey. I think that's something I learned from a lot of entrepreneurs or athletes that are comedians or actors, whatever it is, just listening to them talk is a lot of times they talk about how they wish they would have stopped for a second to smell the rose. I think you need to have that type of mentality where you're always looking forward, you're never satisfied, but somehow you still need to sit for a second and be mindful, you know, how grateful you really are. And I'm really grateful for where I am, for the people I have met and the connections I have made you know, spiritually, mentally, you know, physically, whatever it is. So, yeah, it's just it's just a network to to, to make Muay Thai ma- mainstream and to just become a figure of the sport that's known, you know, not only for who he was in the ring, but outside of the ring. Oh, that's great. And, and I think with Lion Fights having that TV deal and you getting a chance to get some extra exposure, I think uh, you're on the right path. Thank you. I appreciate that. I think so as well. You know, I, I only wish them the best, and I think if they wish me the best, it can only grow from there. Mm-hmm. And I know you're a little bit pressed for time, so I'll uh, leave you with uh, one thing. Uh, my co-host here says you should absolutely do uh, an AMA. Uh, do you know? I don't know if you uh, ever go on Reddit, but uh, uh, there's a Muay Thai subreddit uh, where – People are fascinated with Muay Thai. They said if if you could go on there and say uh, ask me anything, and pe- people will just start flocking to that and wanting to know, pick your brain a little bit. I think uh, that would do a lot of work wonders for you. And uh, okay, I'm, also, I'm always open to new suggestions and things to do. Yeah, surely. And uh, last but not least, uh, did you have any uh, shout outs, trainers, sponsors, anybody that's really helped you along the way? I'll uh, leave the floor to you. Yeah, thank you. No, thank you for you guys for having me on, you know, just providing a platform for not only me, for the people listening. Hopefully we can take things away from you guys, from people like myself, any kind of guests. You know, I want to thank Lion Fight for the opportunity, uh, you know, to be able to showcase my skill, everything that I've been working on and worked for and sacrificed. I want to thank, you know, my family for still being there to support me. My my sponsors who are PMP Supplements, Nakamoy Nation. I want to thank for my work with Evolve MMA. I want to thank um, you know my team especially. You know we're here throwing martial arts. We're Sit Yotong affiliate, so you know we're we're in a small state of Connecticut, and somehow we're able to make headway. So I appreciate everyone that's pushing with me. Uh, you know I have a good teammate around me, Jay, and I have my coach Ed Thornton uh, that's affiliated with Mark Delagradi and Sit Yotong. So. Uh, you know, he spends over an hour of his private time outside of just the regular class and everything every single day on top of having a full-time job and kids. So, you know, much love to him and everyone that's around me. So thank you. All my supporters, everyone that follows MuayThaiAthlete.com, everyone that follows my journey on, you know, all the social media platforms. And again, for you guys, thank you. Well, it was uh, our pleasure, Paul, and best of luck next Friday. We'll definitely be rooting for you. All right. Thank you, baby. Hopefully you're watching. So to the best for you guys. Thank you. All right. You have a a terrific rest of your night. You too. Take care. All right. Bye. All right. That was Paul Banasiak. He just fought. He is fighting in 11 days and about an hour. So really excited for him. Really wish the best for him. What did, what did you think of that interview there, Richard? I, I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, I like that he seemed focused on 
keeping his life straight. You know, he didn't. Mm-hmm. He, I'm not worried about a John Jones moment for that. Yeah. I was just going to say, you made a, an interesting comment during the live interview. No John Jones moments for him because he keeps uh, keeps positive people around him and uh, gets away from uh, the bad influences. So good for him. Good for him. <laughs> and he's, got, he's kind of coming into his professional career at a good time in the area. Um, mm-hmm. I have a, a cousin who's an amateur Muay Thai fighter in uh, in Massachusetts, and it used to be, especially when he first started, uh, damn near impossible to find a fight. You know, I mentioned in the chat that he was literally fighting somebody 15 pounds bigger than him in a closed uh, sausage factory in Providence, Rhode Island, and uh, there were no commissions. It was just, you know, a ref who was a guy in a sweatshirt. And that's about it. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to rack my brain. Is there any last things you wanted to get off your chest before we call it a night? I know you had uh, something you wanted to say about Artem Lobov. Yes. Uh, Artem Lobov is uh, the worst fighter to headline a, a UFC event. And since I started being a fan, which was Krokov versus Gonzaga, so there's no fighter with any kind of solid skill. Um, nobody as bad as Lobov should be headlining a, uh, a UFC card like this. And it kills me that this card is probably going to draw as many fans as the Fox cards. Kills mm-hmm. me. And it's going to really I mean, kill you when he does the Russian hammer and just pow, smokes Swanson right in the nose, knocks him out cold in one punch, and gets a title shot. I, I hope Cub Swanson does exactly what Ryan Hall did to him, which would be amazing. <laughs> just exact, just, what, words, just step for step, <laughs> just, just throws lazy kicks at him and, and basically slaps him with his foot. And just give the worst fight possible. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's about everything for the show this week. But uh, did you have anything you want our listeners to to check out, Richard? Uh, I think everybody should go to uh, Steam or the Xbox uh, Live Store or the PlayStation Network and uh, download and play the first episode of Life is Strange. It's a uh, fantastic game. Uh, it's the first episode's free. So you got to pay twenty dollars for the next four. Um, I sunk quite a bit of time into it. It was really compelling story and uh, really unique. And uh, like I, will, I said, free to I'll try. Definitely do that. Uh, for me, mine's not free. Well, it's free if you're extremely, extremely patient and don't get frustrated. But it's Hearthstone, I got the. Uh, Journey to Angoro expansion just came out, and I have been playing the shit out of that. That's kind of been my guilty pleasure. But uh, good old Hearthstone. Yeah, thanks. I am a nerd. But, man, Hearthstone's, Hearthstone's so fun. And I, I bet I spent 150 bucks on cards to, to, to complete my set. So, well, yeah, I, it's not cheap. It my... is not cheap. It's, it's technically free, but 
if you want to get all the cards as fast as possible, you're going to have to spend some money. Um, <laughs> I, I, it would it would ruin me because uh, my workday consists of me typing things into a smartphone, and that would mm-hmm. probably suck up 90% of my day easily. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> well, uh, that just about does it for today's show. Special thanks to Paul Banashik for stopping by, and it's been well over a year since we've ever had a chance to do this, but Richard, I think you know what time it is. In honor of his uh, entrance to the WWE Hall of Fame during WrestleMania, it's Kurt Angle time. <laughs>